must have been domestic. Hello, my name is Will and this is Exploding Helicopter, where we're trying to turn potatoes into an unlimited source of podcasts. Right, we're going back nearly 40 years to look at a cult action movie from the early 1980s. This was a curious time in action film history where, for reasons lost in the mists of time, it was standard practice for every villain to have an outlandish plan for world domination and, invariably, their own private army of ninjas. So on this show we're taking a look at one work that ticks all those boxes, 1981's Kill and Kill Again. To help me review the film, I'm joined by two men who have been brainwashed into performing synchronised kata routines. It's Brett and Ty from Comeuppance <laughs> Reviews. Welcome to the show, guys. <laughs> How's it going? This is Ty. If you want to get the audio right, <laughs> yes, and this is Brett. Yeah. yeah. So you know, so I want you know to make sure our listeners know who is who. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You're going to have to. Uh, yeah. People listening going to have to. Uh, to. I'm sure they'll they'll tune in to uh, which one of you is uh, is speaking at any one time. But uh, it's really yeah. I'm really glad <laughs> to uh, to have you both on here as I'm a, a oh. big fan of uh, your website. Uh, and oh, uh, you know, thanks. I kind of your your you guys were uh, I sort of stumbled across you guys uh, pretty early into getting into film blogging um, over 10 years ago so uh, it's kind of uh, nice to sort of finally having sort of you know been in touch with you uh, virtually to uh, actually sort of you know be on the same podcast with you yeah I'm happy uh, you invited us on it's worked out thanks that's great (laughs) yeah and it it is finally great to hear your voice and I should say this is our first ever transcontinental international (laughs) podcast yeah that's amazing well, it's uh, nice to be part of that uh, part of history right here with you. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, a, you know, if uh, you have been following the Exploding Helicopter website, you might have noticed that uh, Brett and Ty have uh, featured on the site as they've been, uh, they've posted a kind of couple of guest uh, reviews uh, on the Exploding Helicopter website. And uh, I, I want to just sort of say thank you for that, because one of the films that, uh, that you sort of contributed a review for was uh, Iron Thunder, which... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> has to be one of the worst films I've ever seen. Oh, same I'm here, so, and I and yeah. I do apologize, but <laughs> consider it. I consider that warning for the world because it's yeah. it's just an awful, beyond awful movie. <laughs> it is. I mean, you guys, uh, as I you know, you're you generally look for the positive in in any movie, but even you struggled to. Well, I mean, you <laughs> yeah. failed to find any yeah. redeeming quality. <laughs> no, that's true, and I do appreciate that you bring that up because. I don't like, you know, when people say, oh, come up and reviews, oh, you're going to give these movies their come up. And, you know, that's not really what it's about. I mean, the name came from, you know, that we like revenge movies and when the baddie gets their come up and that's kind of what inspired the name. So, yeah, we do try to find the silver lining or any good parts of any movie because it's it's fun. You know, we're trying to have some fun on the website and look for the positive. But that, all that being said, my God, Iron Thunder, I mean, <laughs> that that will test anybody's patience. I defy anyone to not get frustrated while watching that movie. It's well, unwatchable. Well, basically unwatchable. It is. It's. Uh, I'm, I'm so glad that I could just pick the review, uh, you know, that you guys took the pain of writing that review and uh, <laughs> I, I, I did. one for the team as they yeah. Say. yeah. <laughs> But uh, at Exploding Helicopter, uh, you know, as uh, all of my listeners uh, should know, we are uh, all about uh, celebrating my particular favourite trope in film, which is uh, the exploding uh, helicopter. But, uh, you know, I understand that uh, that you guys don't actually like to to call these things tropes, do you? And uh, I, I was listening to your, a recent episode of your uh, podcast and uh, you came up with an alternative title for these types 
types of familiar patterns that you see again and again in films and uh, you called them cliches so uh, I just wondered if you could uh, if one of you wanted to uh, explain to listeners what that term meant. So just in full disclosure my friend Ryan who's actually been on the site or on the on site and on the podcast came up with that term so just full disclosure I didn't come up with the word cliche but I did kind of glom onto it because cliches especially these action movies not only are they necessary, but they need to happen. So I don't want there to be any negative connotation to the word cliche. So you just had the word glee because they provide <laughs> the viewer with a lot of glee and happiness. And I just kind of, uh, I believe that's called a portmanteau or a, a word where you put two words together. So yeah, it's, it's trying to take the negative stigma off the word cliche. And when you hear a fun cliche, like it's, <laughs> we got companies like, oh, you smile. Like, oh, that's fun. And uh, over on your site, obviously at Exploding Helicopter, we are just really looking at one of these cliches. But over on your site, you've done a lot of work to uh, identify some of these uh, other familiar elements that uh, crop up again and again. So uh, one of my favourites is uh, what you refer to um, as a PRT. So I wondered uh, if you could tell one of our listeners what a PRT is. Oh, um, I'm trying to remember. It's well, it stands for prerequisite torture. Oh, pre- oh prerequisite torture. torture. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, PRT. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's classic. <laughs> yeah, no, wow. I'm glad you remembered that because, um, yeah, a lot of times we just shorten it to PT, you know, because yeah. uh, we don't want to, I mean, not to confuse it with physical therapy, but because um, <laughs> it's kind of the opposite. But a, a lot of times, and I think the Rambo series might have kickstarted this, but, you know, don't quote me where the hero at some point in the proceedings, the bad guys torture him. And so and then, you know, that, that almost provides the impetus for his eventual revenge. So, yeah, that's kind of what the prerequisite torture is. It's when the hero of the piece gets tortured by the baddies and then somehow breaks out of it and and then goes on his uh, rampage of revenge. Showdown Little Tokyo is a good example. Yeah, and that kind of prerequisite torture, it sort of absolves the hero <laughs> for the the inevitable carnage which they're about to uh, to dole out. So it, <laughs> right. it serves a, another important sort of function in, to, in those yes. movies as well. Yeah, I mean, it's not always enjoyable to watch, like personally, and Ty knows this very well, I don't like torture, like I wouldn't watch like the Saw or Hostel or whatever these torture porn movies are, just because I don't like that, to me that just doesn't, that just doesn't do much for me as a viewer, but as far as the prerequisite torture in an action movie, you're right, it serves, it can serve a very important purpose. Okay, I think it's time we got stuck into uh, Kill and Kill Again, so let's have a listen to the frankly glorious trailer. James Ryan, four times world martial arts champion, a living weapon of destruction. In 1980, he accepted the challenge to take on a battalion of karate commandos and kill or be killed. Now, James Ryan is back as Steve Chase in the most explosive action adventure of our time. This time, his assault squad of five international superstars must face an enemy that could devastate any army on Earth. The karate clones of the Mad Marduk. And his evil champion of champions, the Optimus. Steve Chase. 
must have been domestic. The Flash. Gypsy Billy. Gorilla. Hot Dog. And the magnificent Candy Cane. I had to see for myself how good you really were. Together, they must battle for a prize more valuable than any trophy. The freedom of the entire world. It'll be expensive. Shall we say two million? Five million. In the air. Martial arts champion Steve Chase is recruited to rescue a missing scientist. He's been taken by a billionaire turned eccentric cult leader called Marduk. Before he disappeared, the missing boffin had been trying to turn potatoes into an unlimited source of energy. However, during his research, he'd accidentally learned how to turn spuds into a mind control drug. Marduk now wants to use this drug to help him create an army of fighters that'll help his plan for world domination. To help him with the challenge, our hero recruits a trusty band of comrades to rescue the scientist, destroy the drug and stop Marduk's sinister scheme to conquer the world. There's no one terribly familiar in the cast. Uh, Steve Chase is played by James Ryan, who had something of a career in DTV. One of Steve's buddies uh, in arms is played by Ken Gampu, who appeared in a few interesting movies. Uh, interesting in the sense that they also featured an exploding helicopter. So uh, he starred in The Gods Must Be Crazy, Cyborg Cop 2 and uh, American Ninja 4. Kill and Kill Again has a 5.2 rating on uh, IMDb and a 47% user rating on Rotten Tomatoes. The film is a sequel to Kill or Be Killed, which came out in 1976 or 1980, depending on what information you read on the internet. Um, apparently a third film was planned, but to date um, has not been made, and I for one am not holding out for it to appear at this late stage in the game. Although the film does enjoy something of a cult reputation, it has been re-released and um, has been the subject of a, of a Rift Tracks commentary. So with all that out of the way, let's uh, find out what my guests made of uh, Kill and Kill Again. So, uh, Brett, uh, yeah, what did you make of uh, Kill and Kill Again? Overall, I liked the movie. I liked how wild and wacky and weird it was, like like you touched upon the whole idea of using potatoes as a serum for mind control. It's, I like that aspect of it. What I didn't like was the running time. I thought 101 minutes of this was a bit much. I think if it had been cut down to about maybe 80 or you could maybe push 90, it would have worked a bit mm -hmm. better because it's an action comedy. Like there's a lot of comedy that kind of doesn't work. Um, it's very broad. Um, if like, you know, there's a lot of jokes about a talking parrot and um, things of that nature. <laughs> I mean, it does add to the overall sense of weirdness. I would recommend it to people, but just be aware that there's going to be humor that you might not find funny. And it does go on a little bit too long. But the the wackier, weirder elements, I think, make it very watchable, especially in comparison to other sort of martial arts comedies like Hot Potato or Catch the Heat. I think this uh, kill and kill again is superior to those. So overall I liked it, but it did have a couple little 
bits that I didn't like and I wish it was a bit shorter would be my just mm. 30,000 foot view of the movie. <laughs> well, I would definitely agree with you. I think that this film would have been improved if you'd shaved 10 minutes, perhaps even more off this film. But I think definitely 10 minutes being uh, 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 tucked or off this film would have definitely improved it. Uh, Ty, what did you make of it? Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but speaking oh, of sorry, shaving, yes. are we going to talk about uh, Marduk's beard at all? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure you can shave that, that off. It's more something you can you <laughs> peel off. it off. Yeah. You can peel it off. Yeah, you can peel it off. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like this. Yeah, but Ty, what did you make then of this film? I'm definitely in agreement with Brad. This need to be a little bit shorter. I did, but it was the most interesting part was it's very similar to the A Team mm. TV series because you got uh, Gorilla would be B. A. Baracus and. Yep. <laughs> the guy's name now. No, yeah, I, so. I have some notes on this if you want me to no, jump I, in. Um, um, Mur- right. Howlin' Mad Murdoch, the, yeah. the character of Hot Dog is very Hot much Dog. like him. Very. He has a similar hat and a similar demeanor. Yep, um, Chase true. is like face. Yeah, Chase, um, face. And there's actually one point in the movie right before they storm the compound where they say they're going to do it in teams. Because, you know, this is a great assemble team movie. I don't know if we're going to talk about that coming up or not. But they uh, they assemble a team. And at one point, Chase says... Um, well, we're the B team. Yeah, so that means so, they're the A team. <laughs> um, Coincidence? So, I think not. And, and there's and there's also other parallels to other things that I think people took yeah. influence from, uh, but maybe we could talk about those later. Well, okay, well, I just want to mention the gorilla. You know, he doesn't like airplanes. Oh, yeah, that's I, another thing. A certain B.A. Baracus does not like airplanes. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> yeah, and this film uh, predated the A Team by a couple of years, I think. So yes, yes, you're right. So perhaps even uh, Jay Canal, yeah, uh, watch this uh, great movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I think I have an idea for a show. <laughs> Questions need to be asked, I think, of Mister Canal. Yeah, but I agree with Brett with his review of the movie. Like it's goofy, it's goofy fun. It runs a little long, but you enjoy it while you're watching it for the most part. What about you? I really enjoyed it. And I think it's in a very similar vein to yourselves in the sense that if you understand the sort of the if you get in with the tone of the film, then you can have a really good time with this movie, because uh, I think that's what really is the the sort of strongest part of the film is, is the sort of the. The, the, some of that goofy aspect to the plot, the goofy aspect to the natures. Uh, I mean, the action scenes are, well, we're going to talk about them later. I think they're pretty decent, but, you know, they are far from the strongest um, parts of this film, I think. So, uh, yeah, I, I think this is, I can see why this film has got something of a cult reputation, why somebody's bothered to find this movie and, and re-release it on uh, on DVD. And yeah, like yourselves, I would recommend this to people, but, you know, I would, I would sort of make sure they sort of understand a little bit of what they're kind of getting on board with before I, I went ahead and, uh, and did that. But uh, let's expand a bit maybe on the tone of the film, which we've all referred to, because there are some elements in here which are clearly intended as, as comedy, but you know, they're, they're very broader, sort of slapsticky uh, type humour. But then there were some other moments within the film which I, I found a bit harder to read. And there are some goofy moments in here which could just be eccentric decision making or they could actually have been intended as a joke. So, yeah, I don't know what you guys, you know, made of the, the humour here, how much was intended and how much was accidental. It had to be intentional because you got the talking parrot, you got the 
I forget her name, uh, Minerva, talking yep. all those wacky uh, nicknames for uh, Marduk. It's like, he's like, you're, uh, I, no, I forgot her, her goofy nicknames, like Poopsie or something. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, so it has to be intentional. So. <laughs> but what about all the stuff, say, with, you know, the, the, the kind of the potatoes? Because, uh, you know, that, I think, you know, sometimes <laughs> I read that as deliberate comedy. And then sometimes I thought, do they or is this actually dead straight is this because some of those scenes are played so with such a straight face that made me doubt whether those bits were actually intended as comedy well i can see why excuse me i can see why you might think that because the comedy is obviously very obvious too obviously comedy whereas the potato part and some of the other things aren't so you think if that was played for comedy they really would have hammered it you know what i mean (laughs) so So I can see why any viewer would be confused about what's clearly delineated as the quote unquote comedy and what isn't like if you remember the scene where he first, you know, he's doing the assemble the team section of the movie and he has one of his buddies is the fly Mm. and he's, you know, he's achieved Satori. So they say so obviously (laughs) that means he's in a completely black room surrounded by candles um, which almost looks like that video um, wasn't by the police. I forget what song, but um, where Sting's <laughs> knocking over all the candles. Um, and so he starts to levitate. And then as if like it's something he could easily do too. Chase starts to levitate. And then like, is, was that supposed to be funny or was that supposed to be like a comment on Zen Buddhism? And what I found strange about that particular moment was you, assume just from having watched so many of these types of films before that that will then play some sort of significant part in the film at some key moment later where where he will need to to levitate to get them out of the situation but in this film no it doesn't yeah. <laughs> like, that's true yeah you, that. just, yeah. Yeah, you <laughs> think yeah there'd be a part where that really was like the only solution to save people's lives but yeah no it's yeah. never heard from again that's a funny idea though i mean maybe you, know, you can levitate hot dog and gorilla and, and the hostages you know up to maybe yeah we're like someone's plane. gonna like swipe at them with a sword and then he yeah. kind of levitates and avoids yeah. the sword <laughs> But um, what about the cast of characters? And we've already sort of we've already touched on them a little bit. And, uh, you know, so we've got um, perhaps we'll tackle this by sort of breaking them down into the sort of the heroes and villains. So we have uh, Steve Chase, who's this uh, all conquering uh, karate champion gorilla, as we've already mentioned, who's a type of a kind of B.A. Baracus type strongman gypsy, who is this sort of double denim wearing. Um, I guess he's meant to be like a hick. Um, uh, and then we've got Fly, who is this martial artist uh, who's achieved this special mystical uh, level. And, uh, you know, Hot Dog, who's this sort of howling mad Murdoch type of uh, of character. Um, we we see in this film, we see all of these, uh, you know, this team being um, put together. So I wondered, you know, how uh, well do you think this sort of team of characters, um, you know, how, do you, how well do you think this group worked as a team of characters? And I'll throw this one to, to Brett first. Um, Stephen J. Cannell obviously thought it worked. Um, <laughs> uh, it no, I think it does work well. I think the characters are individual enough from each other, so we clearly know who all of them are. They all do have their specific personalities. I did think that worked. Let's not forget about Candy Kane, mm. uh, who uh, the, I don't know if you want to call her the token female, but it's her father who gets kidnapped, and That's his name is Dr. Horatio Kane. And yep, you have yes. to wonder if the CSI Miami <laughs> writers yeah. – uh, <laughs> 
watch this as well because I know could the writers of CSI Miami come up with the name Horatio Kane all on their own? I don't know. I don't think so. Or maybe David Caruso did because with his fantastic acting. <laughs> in Miami. <laughs> but um but to answer your initial question, yes, I think the I think the team does work and their personalities are different. You know, there, there's a lot of other movies of this type where you can't tell any of the uh, of the characters apart. So mm-hmm. this you definitely can. So in that sense it was a success. And um yeah, so yeah, the the assemble a team section which I always enjoyed. To me the, that part of the movie worked well. What about you, Ty? Totally uh, in agreement. I liked, you know, there are certain jobs. One doesn't have a job, right? Uh, and then uh, uh, Gorilla was doing some uh, tug of war. That was a, you yeah, don't usually he, see that. Um, well, he's doing it with all of his um, construction worker like teammates. Yeah, like he, exactly. he's so strong, he, he can yank them all to the mud. But then when Chase shows up, mm, not so much. I don't know. You would think that uh, Gorilla would beat Chase, but uh, you would be wrong. <laughs> yeah and then like gorilla hugs him and he gets mud yeah. all over him yeah. <laughs> that's very a team that's something would happen to a uh, face you know you can't help but enjoy these you know team movies i think I'm trying to think of another good team movie um oh, kill squad oh that, yeah exactly kill squad perfect Did you ever see kill squad well i have not seen that no i think you would enjoy it a lot if you like this you would definitely like that well, I'll make sure to uh, I'll make sure to uh, check it out. But uh, let's uh, have a little uh, focus on the, the the villains of the of the oh. piece here. And um, <laughs> yes. you know, we've got the we've got the mad genius uh, Marduk. Um, he then has his chief heavy, who is known as the Optimus. And uh, we, <laughs> and we then have Minerva. Uh, and I'm not really sure what her role is within the Marduk operation. Um, she, uh, she has a very interesting relationship with Marduk where, uh, I mean, she looks like a uh she looks like she's the sort of like the backing singer singer in a new romantics band and um <laughs> she is quite uh she's got quite a lot of, quite a lot of personality because she's you know very cheeky to uh marduk who is generally a very serious and authoritarian uh cult leader <laughs> and uh so i don't really know quite how she sort of gets away with uh with that sort of uh sarcasm and uh insolence but uh yeah what did uh what did you guys uh, i guess make of the of the villains here and i'll throw this one to ty first yeah marduk definitely stands out because of his beard i mean it's like, <laughs> it's like it's kind of like a woolly willy or willy woolly. You know, the guy just, he takes <laughs> his beard and mustache around like, hey, what's um, With yeah, a magnet, right? With a magnet, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's a pretty good villain, I'd say. He kind of, uh, you don't want him to succeed, as usual. But it's just like... <laughs> Minerva? Hmm. I feel like we've seen this type of character before. I mean, she kind of looks like Pink, the singer, and she's yes. all pink. <laughs> Another so pink Stephen J. Canal David Caruso they've seen this movie Optimus so like, clearly Optimus the writers Prime. of Transformers watched this yeah. as well. <laughs> all roads clearly yeah. seem to uh, all yeah. roads in popular culture clearly lead back to this film. It's very strange. We, and, uh, yes, and I actually have some more, but uh, right. maybe go ahead. <laughs> um, uh, where is it? Okay, so remember the scene where there's a quote unquote bullet time effect oh, where. Yes. So they're shooting a bullet, which was really cool. To me, that's a movie highlight. Like, it looked cool. It looked um, very well, well shot, really well done effect. 
Um, so to, you know, describe to the audience, someone shoots a, a gun and then you, we see the bullet in close up in slow motion traveling. And clearly, <laughs> I, know I keep saying that clearly yeah. the makers of the matrix and the sniper series, both saw this movie and were highly inspired by it. Yes. Yes. They're not a ripoff inspired the homage. <laughs> um, I think that's all the, uh, homages I have on my list. But I think this was seen in drive-ins and on, uh, you know, pay cable. And this movie was seen. So I do think it might have had an influence, really, amongst people that saw it at the time. Just um, darting back to uh, Minerva for a moment. Uh, You know, she's such a, well, she is very uh, literally and, uh, you know, uh, actually a very colourful character in this film. But, uh, you know... What what do you think her relationship was with uh, Mardu? Because we we've already described how she's very sassy towards him, and I, I, I sometimes you know I've watched this film a couple of times now. At, at some moments, I thought, is she meant to be? Is she his lover, or is she just sort of you know you know some sort of aid? You know, I I, I couldn't create, really sort of pin down what their relationship was meant to be especially given the fact that she you know gives him you know she's just blatantly insolent in into his face it must be a little bit of both i think i don't know it, yeah. well the question i think that was on all of our minds was does marduk have the capacity to love because yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> great question but then again maybe the name marduk was her idea because as we're told when uh, Chase is being briefed on the whole matter, that his original name is Wellington Forsyth the Third. That's that's a name and a half. Because <laughs> they say he's a he's a wealthy man named Wellington Forsyth the Third. It's like that's redundant. I mean, yeah. <laughs> he's obviously wealthy if that's his name. Um, but well, he's um, a rare poor. He's very, he's actually poor. But he likes to rename things. He renamed himself Marduk, and mm. he named the town that he set up shop in from Ironville to New Babylonia. Um, so, but what the the relationship could be is she's there to almost humanize him. You know, instead of being like a just a emotionless, all conquering leader, it shows they have some sort of inner life together. And um, I don't know if I'm reading into this too much, but she kind of undercuts him, like instead of being just sort of like this despot the way she treats him is a clue to their personal life. So something's going on behind the scenes and she kind of like under, I guess undercuts sort of like undermines him a little bit um, with her pet names for him. <laughs> I wonder if Marduk is interested, but Minerva knows that she should never sort of, you know, ultimately succumb to that interest because that would almost be like potentially fatal. She's 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 got more power by sort of being the continual sort of slight object of his affections, but uh, always unobtainable. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because this way she's almost like the power behind the throne. Mm. I do want to mention the writer of this movie also wrote Hands of Steel, which which the main character has a great name, Paco Querac. So, yes, so, and he wrote some other movies too that yeah, are of interest. Um, so, the guy's Wild name is John Bear. Crowther. Yeah, Crown. Yeah, John Crowther. And he not just not he wrote Hands of Steel, but he also wrote The Wild Pair with Bubba Smith, and um, Damned River, which is an early <laughs> review on our site, which also takes place in Africa. And he was credited as story on uh, Missing in Action with Chuck Norris. Ooh, what a career! 
I'd be I'd be very proud of that career. But um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's have a look at the uh, the action that we get in, in this uh, film. You know, what did you make of the fight scenes and you know the kind that we get along the way uh, in this film? And uh, Brett, do you want to kick this one off? It's very much in the '70s Enter the Dragon style tradition. You know, they're you know they're these well-staged martial arts fights. You know, they're not like street brawls or anything like that. They're, you know, we are fighting martial arts right now type of fights, which is enjoyable to watch. What's interesting, though, is the bar fight scene. And this is a question I had for you. According to what we read, um, the movie was cut in the UK by 73 seconds. And that's because the BBFC has a real problem with nunchucks. And in that scene, kind of apropos of nothing, Chase breaks out some nunchucks and starts whipping them around and, you know, shattering beer bottles with them. And I was wondering if you knew about that and if there's anything you could say about that. Oh, I'm unaware of uh, the uh, BBFC's uh, issue with uh, nunchucks. Um, uh. I, I can, though, oh, tell you more. I, I can, though, uh, confirm that clearly there are no longer those issues because the uh, the nunchucks were very clearly present in the version of the film that I saw, uh, which is currently streaming in the UK. So, uh, but you know, just as somebody who sort of uh, grew up in the UK, I can remember sort of you know when I was a kid in the 80s that pe- people were always worried in the UK about uh, kids going away to France and uh, you know go- buying flick knives or those kind of uh, or throwing stars that mm-hmm. you I could so I, I, yeah. I, I so I can well imagine that uh, in the sort of rather um, stiff collared uh you know environs <laughs> of uh 80s britain that um uh, nunchucks would be uh, you know problematic and that uh they were featured in a film they would have to you know that would affect the certification uh, of it yeah i was gonna say that one of the funniest examples of you know britain taking away your nunchucks <laughs> <laughs> which they clearly want to do <laughs> is teenage mutant ninja turtles 2 the secret of the ooze where don <laughs> It's a Donatello, one of the turtles. He uses his nunchucks, but they're not nunchucks. They're sausages. <laughs> so that's gone. That's gone. So, so the the censors in your country saw uh, the Ninja Turtles is sausage nunchucks and said, no, 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 no. No, nope. kids can't uh, watch that or even eat them. So it was like... <laughs> Well, I dread to think, you know, how wrong, how bad society would be in the UK if uh, children of a formative age saw, you know, uh, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle wielding, um, you know, a couple of sausages uh, in, a, in, a, in a dangerous and threatening manner. It would, would probably just be anarchy, just be, just be anarchy, pure anarchy right now. <laughs> it would, you know. But what about you, Ty? What did you make of the uh, the fight scenes? The fight scenes, yeah, they were they were fun. They were kind of goofy fun, kind of like hot potato, like we mentioned before. You know, get the hi and like kind of jumping <laughs> yeah, around. Yeah, they do hi and yee yee yee. A lot of them. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. Yee yee yee. I I think we could still do that today in our karate classes, but I think it would be, yeah, <laughs> maybe frowned upon. But uh, but yeah, yeah, there's a certain formal quality to them yeah, that you don't see sure. too much these days. But it, it is kind of a throwback to the Bruce Lee. Um, style like kind of 
you know, th- that in the few years before was the kind of the Bruce Lee craze. You know, everybody was kung fu fighting and that kind of thing. You see that influence and it is fun to watch because sure. you don't really see that so much anymore. So this is sort of that drive in kung fu karate style fights that are a lot of fun. One thing I wanted to mention was the finale of this movie, where, as is often the case in these types of movies, the plot mechanics get everyone into some form of arena and some sort of gladiatorial contest of uh, martial arts takes place. And, uh, you know, that's what happens here. So we see all of our heroes, you know, fighting different challenges from uh, Marduk's army. Uh, and then, uh, you know, ultimately, uh, the Optimus then has to uh, face down uh, Steve Chase. But uh, it was really after uh, the Optimus is defeated that uh, I was particularly interested because uh, we then see the sort of the the heroes then um, sort of all come together and there's kind of like a special move performed where they all pick up Steve Chase and then throw him at Marduk (laughs) and that 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 seems that seemed to be like there was a scene somewhere earlier in the film where that special move (laughs) should really have been established <laughs> and then they perform it at this kind of critical, <laughs> critical moment because otherwise it doesn't it really doesn't make sense uh, an awful lot when you watch it in this film as it is that was one of the highlights of the movie that was really funny it's like a bowling ball but a human bowling ball it's like <laughs> well they come together i think the writers of voltron might have seen this and were very influenced by it um <laughs> yeah really every great cultural uh phenomenon of the 21st century does lead back as i'm coming to realize now more and more to uh, to this this particular this particular film so uh, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to be looking at the exploding helicopter action you are about to witness history in the making Hi there, this is Todd from Forgotten Films, and if you spend all your time watching new releases, then you need to broaden your movie horizons. And a great way to do that is by joining me for the Forgotten Filmcast. We don't talk about the new releases, we don't even talk about the classics. We talk about the movies that time forgot. On each episode, I'm joined by another film blogger to discuss a film that may or may not be worth rediscovering. So look for the Forgotten Filmcast on iTunes, Podomatic, and wherever you find great podcasts. We're back, and now we're looking at the exploding helicopter action. This happens during the film's finale. Uh, Marduk tries to make his getaway in a Scorpion uh, 133 helicopter, which is an endearingly small helicopter, actually, for a billionaire intent on world domination. Uh, But yeah, he tries to make his getaway. Uh, Gorilla grabs onto the rotor blades and uses his phenomenal physical strength to stop them turning. Uh, A couple of Marduk's goons turn up and, appalled at their boss's decision to ditch them at this moment of crisis, open fire on the helicopter with their machine guns blowing it up uh gentlemen what did you make of the exploding helicopter action yeah i would say it's uh, short but sweet you know it's a like you said it's a smaller helicopter it kind of shows up or the or it blows up i should say very sort of quickly it's like one minute you're looking at it and the next minute you know there was not a lot of um a lead up to it it just kind of happens but i also did enjoy that moment where gorilla is stopping the rotor blades and i and i i don't want to drill this into the ground but i do think it's something like in the expendables like a, something terry cruz aka toll road might do it's something that that's very terry cruz very expendables 
And um, but that aside, yeah, it's it's short. It's not you know particularly lengthy, but it 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 happens and it almost I would say catches you by surprise, maybe a little. Well, given how influential this film is becoming, I think it's almost a certainty <laughs> that uh, Expendables 4 will feature that scene that you've just described. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the kind of the influence this film will continue to um, expand. So, uh, you know, Ty, what did you make of uh, the exploding helicopter action here? It was very well, very well done. Very well, very well shot. Cause he's like, hey, all right, real exploding helicopter, not a CGI exploding, exploding helicopter. And I have to mention... That when he said it was really small, I guess Marduk, you know, <laughs> he can't afford a big one, I guess, because he, he uses potatoes. Well, yeah, you kind of <laughs> um, alluded to that, you know. Yeah, I like that you alluded to that. That was really funny. Yeah, it was really well done because you can't help but love a real exploding helicopter in a movie. You know, now that we like it's alt E, as we mentioned, mm. you know, just you press, you press the computer button. <laughs> it's like, oh, there's an exploding helicopter for you. Yeah, it was, it was very enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with you, you guys in the sense that, um, you know, it does blow up very quickly and, yeah. you know, it, it's it's not it, and that does kind of spoil it a little bit. But uh, I, <laughs> I, I still enjoyed the fact that it was a very it's a very unusual helicopter that we see getting uh, blown up here. So I enjoyed the fact that it was quite different from most other helicopters we see being blown up in, in films. And uh, as as we've already talked about, I think the, um, you know, gorilla holding the rotor, rotor blades <laughs> Of the of the chopper was uh you know a, was a really great part of the that particular sequence and i guess given the size of the helicopter it's only really possible um to, to do that with a, a helicopter of uh of this size but uh yeah i mean i think that's a little you know holding onto the rotor blades like that i you know i think there's um, other filmmakers you know of all the different elements of uh, helicopter explosions that have been done and done again here's one that really i don't think has been exploited by you know exploited enough Oh, I, I definitely agree. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen it before. And I'm surprised he didn't pick it up. Because <laughs> 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 he was, if he's so strong, but holding the rotor blade is really impressive. We can't do that yet. <laughs> well, you're not gorilla. That's a problem. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> Okay, I think that just about wraps things up for this show. Uh, Brett, Ty, thanks very much for uh, joining me. Um, do you want to take a moment to tell people about uh, Comeuppance Reviews and where they can find you online? Yeah, sure. Well, first off, you're welcome. Uh, thanks for having <laughs> us on, by the way. That was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, a lot of fun. Oh, pleasure to have you both. And I guess for plugs, I see there's comeuppancereviews.net. There's my Instagram, which is under Ty Action Rocks, where I post all the VHS that I own. Ty Comeuppance on the Twitter, on Facebook. And Brett, you have one more. Um, well, and there's our podcast, which is if you just go to iTunes on Apple and just type in Comeuppance Reviews, we should be the only thing that comes up. <laughs> and also, um, we have a email address if you want to email us, uh, which is crpodcast at yahoo.com. So, yeah, check us out on all those social sites and um, yeah, see what Comeuppance Reviews has to offer. Yeah, we have some fun stuff on there. 
Well, I would heartily echo that, and uh, yeah, I'd re- recommend anyone listening to go and check out uh, the reviews up on the website, and go and check out the podcast. It's uh, you know, you'll find some, you know, some, you'll you'll learn about some fantastically uh, entertaining films, and uh, you'll uh, yeah, there's always a good time when I'm reading one of your reviews or listening to one of your shows. So. Oh, I appreciate that. And also, you could avoid bad movies like Iron Thunder. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Honestly, it's such a uh, such a service that uh, that you guys provide because uh, you know too. when when you're um, you know looking at some of these films that are on like Amazon Prime from the 80s and uh, you're you're sort of thinking, oh, this you know is this one good or is this one just bad? Invariably, you can have a little have a quick look on IMDb. Invariably. There's your a review from you guys there, and uh, you know I kind of you're a sort of trusted go-to site for sort of like the skinny on a particular movie. Like, is this one that's going to be I, I, worth watching, or is this going to be an absolute dud? Uh, <laughs> I, I appreciate. Well, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate all your kind words. And just to clarify, I do want to say that there are two movies called Iron Thunder, and the one that we've been talking about, saying how bad it is, is the one with Richard Hatch. There's a harder to find movie called Iron Thunder with Anthony Amp Elmore that we're looking for and we haven't seen. That's not the movie we're talking about. The really awful one is the one with Richard Hatch. Yes. Just, just to clarify. Do not, under any circumstances, watch that film, even to find out how bad <laughs> it is. Like, just, just don't, just don't do it. Really, don't do it. Excellent. Excellent advice. Well, yeah, because we were talking about how Riff Tracks, you know, they did that commentary for Kill and Kill Again. It's already a comedy. I don't know how much comedy they're actually going to add to it, but if they really want to tackle something challenging, they should try doing commentary for Iron Thunder. <laughs> I don't think they, they just walk out. The shadows would be gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As always, sharing is caring. So if you can sit in your heart to rate, review or retweet us, we'd be forever grateful. Or, well, maybe just temporarily. Don't forget to check out the Exploding Helicopter website for more reviews of films where helicopters explode. We'll be back soon. But until then, keep watching the skies for those exploding helicopters. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. Has there been a ransom note or anything? My father has been working for several years on a project to extract fuel from potatoes. One year's crop can provide enough gasoline to drive every car in the world to the moon. Solve the parking problem. Mr. Chase, this is no laughing matter. You mean to tell me the good doctor was kidnapped because of potatoes? During his research, my father accidentally discovered there was a byproduct. An incredible new mind control drug that enables whoever administers it to bend people to his will. Room service. Champagne for the lady. I've already received it. This one's compliments of the house. <laughs>